The most exhilarating journeys take us to unexpected places. And with Viking River Cruises, you can access the corners of the world you didn't know you needed on your bucket list. Sail through the hearts of Southeast Asia with a voyage down the Mekong River, gazing upon lush temple ruins and exploring bustling villages by rickshaw. Venture through America's heartland on the Mississippi River, where you'll immerse yourself in bold flavors, brass, and the Delta Blues. Or journey through time on the Nile River, wandering through ancient temples and witnessing wonders of the world. To make your next journey unforgettable, choose somewhere unexpected. Experience the world's number one river cruise line. Book your Viking River cruise today with Tully Luxury Travel, where luxury is defined by you. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Welcome to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. These guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their prime, but they're still Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye height to all of Nebraska. The Frost Advisory is cancelled! Corn Huskers? More like Corn Suckers. Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go, Hawks! All right, welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. Make sure to give us a like and subscribe so we can make the number one podcast in all of Nebraska, an Iowa Hawkeye podcast. Joining us today, we're going with a little bit of different flavor again. Just when you think you're getting to know us, we're going to shift it on you a little bit. We got Kelly Soulfield now, formerly of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, played football there in the late 70s, played center, I think, probably the most difficult position on the field uh former you know still kind of big 10 official and current timer for the big 10 conference right now kelly got a lot of things to describe you how you doing <laughs> very good first of all i want to ask jerry how much did you pay your nephew to do that intro that was not my nephew as we say <laughs> that kid is too cool to be associated with either one of us so but anyway um in the spirit of transparency too uh you know our audience may be wondering why would we have an ex Husker on our show? And Adam touched on a few of the points, but um, Kelly and I go back. Kelly's somebody who I had met years ago. Um, and we've had a lot of discussions over the years. He knows I'm a Hawkeye fan. And in the uh, previous interviews with Keith Murphy and Andy fails, we had talked about the differences between sports hate 
and real hate and how the lines get blurred sometimes. But Kelly's always a fun guy to talk to. He's got some great anecdotes, and I thought he'd be a great guest on the show. So welcome, Kelly. We're glad to have you. Thank you very much. Um, Always good to be in enemy territory, even though I'm in Storm Lake right now. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, we've got a few Hawkeye connections too. We can talk to you about. So, you know, we'll we'll get to those. So, this is not a Husker only, and you may take a few jabs along the way, and um, you probably give as good as you get. So, anyway, but anyway, take us back, Kelly. You know, you were part of the storied walk-on program at Nebraska back in the late '70s, and you know, you were a walk-on yourself. Take us back to your background where you came from, you know, did you dream of playing for the Huskers as a kid? And then, you know, what, what got you to Lincoln? Did, what, what other opportunities did you have? Originally, I came from a farm outside of uh, Columbus, Nebraska. And uh, I grew up uh, listening to games on the radio with my mom, um, um, a very stoic lady who would break up a pile of leaves and Nebraska would score. And then she'd start throwing them in the air and I'm like, what's wrong with this crazy lady? So, Kind of had my interest then, but that was at, right at the time when Devaney got there when I kind of started listening and and uh, developed the program into a winner, obviously, and uh, um, then to a national champion, which which was cr- pretty crazy. But uh, that whole ride was really interesting. And, you know, everybody grows up, wants to be a fireman, a policeman, whatever, but I did really want to grow up playing football at Nebraska. Um, thank goodness that there wasn't the internet back in the day because if Iowa had offered a scholarship based on what they saw, I probably had taken the scholarship to Iowa, <laughs> uh, but it all worked out. But, um, uh, everybody thinks outside of Nebraska that all the farmers pool their money and they send a walk on with a scholarship to Nebraska, which is not really the case because, um, after my freshman year, I so impressed them that they gave me back my locker on the freshman side. And when I really didn't put it all together and I went to the equipment manager and said, hey, Walt, what does this mean? Walt Johnson was our equipment manager. And um, I actually told this story at my Hall of Fame induction with Coach Osborne sitting in the background. He was kind of like this. And before it was over with, he was like that. But what Walt told me was kind of inspiring. Uh, he said, get an effing clue and quit. So... Uh, <laughs> So, <laughs> so you know they talk about ne- they talk about positive reinforcement. I got a lot of negative reinforcement back in those days. But um, when somebody says, "Hey, there's the mountain climbing," I'm climbing it the next day. So, got a little bit of technical issue here. You're right there, Kelly. We're losing you a little bit. It's starting to glitch out. Now, we might have a little bit of an internet uh, issue here with Kelly. This stuff kind of happens all the time. Yeah. I think like every streaming show I've ever watched, like, like every other interview, mm-hmm. I was watching the Pat McAfee show earlier today, and it's like, you know, the interview starts buffering out, and then all of a sudden, like, that, all the guys are like, what? Oh. So. Kelly, uh, Kelly works in sales, uh, so he's on the road. Right and, there? Yeah, yeah we're, we're here. here. We, we've lost video, but we got audio. Are you still there, Kelly? Yep, I can hear you. Yep, we can hear you. Hello. Let me text him here real quick. Yeah, well, anyway, this is a little break in the action here. So if you're watching the interview and need to take a bathroom break. Okay, I I can hear you now. You got me back? Yeah, we can hear you. Your, Your screen's frozen, but we can hear you. 
If you want to go ahead and reset or jump out and come back in. There we go. Oh, no, there you're back. Go. You're back. All right. He's back. He is back. I hear you. So now, anyway, okay. So anyway, we, uh, as you were telling about it, Kelly, you, uh, you know, you wanted to play the Husker program. You got a lot of negative reinforcement and uh, go ahead and proceed with, uh, you know, what brought you on the road to Lincoln then and, and you know, your experience when you started out there. Um, I started out um, actually playing tackle in Nebraska. And uh, by the time after my, through my redshirt season, I had actually made it to the second team right tackle spot which would have assured me a scholarship because if you made first or second team as a walk-on, you got a scholarship. So um, I went in the last practice of the spring season, my redshirt year, and my name was no longer up there in the, on the, on the depth chart. I was the fifth string center. And I thought, wow, they're really trying to put it to me right here. So I cornered my offensive line coach, Mill Tenper in the parking lot. And he says, Hey, you just got to trust me on this one. But um, and after I came back that fall, I was, by that time, the number two center. So um, they knew they were going to have some defections, uh, people, guys that weren't making it school-wise. So um, I came in backing up All-American Tom Davis, who got hurt during a couple games my sophomore year, and I actually got to start a couple games without a scholarship my sophomore year. So sure, it all it all worked out. And then later on, I had All-American behind me, a guy, a guy you may have never heard of named Dave Remington. So – Okay. Consequently, when when I was seeing double on the field, I would keep one, one eye closed and keep going because I knew if I left the field for long, I may never see it again. So, <laughs> hey Jerry, I want to give everybody that's watching this right now on YouTube a little bit of a visual of what they were dealing with uh, on that football team with Kelly. Look oh, at look at that mustache, man! That is... Did you have to like? Did you have to carry around a comb for that mustache? I was I was the first Ron Burgundy, just so you know. Man, like if I was the offensive line coach and you came to me with that mustache, I'd be like, "You're starting next week." Like, that's you impressive. St- you still wear that suit to your sales calls, don't you, Kelly? Or yeah, I still fit in that suit. So uh, I think I gave that up a little while ago. But uh, thank you for reminding me all the hair that I used to have. It's we, totally we were all. We're all there, but you're a Husker, so we got to treat you. You're a little more aerodynamic. You're a little more aerodynamic these days. That's all. <laughs> that's true. I can sleep with the extra ten minutes now. I don't have to do the hair. There you go. So, Kelly, real quick, I want to touch on. You mentioned the no internet, and how big of an advantage was that to Nebraska back in the '70s when there was only three channels, and they were pretty much assured out of you know eight, ten weeks of the season, they were pretty much assured of national TV at least two to three, maybe at minimum. I mean, how big of a recruiting edge did that give the Huskers back at that time? Well, back in the day when I was there, they only allowed like, I think two or two regular season games and then uh, bowl games. Uh, Oklahoma was always one of them. I know that uh, Penn State was the other one my senior year that was on TV. So um, like, for example, the Nebraska-Iowa game, if you weren't there, you the only way you would be, know about it was through the radio. It was not televised on any channel. So yeah. Um, no ESPN, so no anyway, internet, no, you know, there's no other things you had. If it wasn't on one of those channels, three channels, you were, I, you were done. I kind of actually was one of those guys who got lost and um, fell through the crack because I actually led my team in tackles as a defensive tackle my senior year, but my coach forgot to go to the all conference meeting. Otherwise I probably, it would have started the road to, probably getting a few other division one offers, maybe not at Nebraska, but other places. And 
you know, money was tight then and I might have taken it. So things could have been a little bit different with, with probably Internet in those days because, you know, nowadays every game's video recorded and passed on to coaches. Sure. So, you know, how are walk-ons treated at Nebraska versus, you know, the scholarship players? I mean, I'm a, you guys, it was such a storied program. Was there any kind of a chasm between the two? Um, you know, were you differentiated in any way or, you know, can you elaborate on that at all or? Any, sure. ha- any actually, hazing stories. <laughs> I actually played under Coach Osborne, and uh, he was very, very good about treating the walk-ons much like the scholarship players. I recently looked at our freshman football pitcher, which was really an aid for me to have freshman football then as well because I needed freshman football, a redshirt year, before I was gonna, knew I was going to be able to have a chance to play. So it gave me a couple years to know I was going to develop. But I, there were actually 78 players on that pitcher, and this was after a bunch of guys had already quit. So that truly means that there were 30, 30 scholarship guys and 48 walk-ons at that point. So, um, I mean, think of every team had 48 walk-ons that they could sift through every year, how they'd always find two or three or four. In my class, ironically, was I am hip and Jarvis Redwine and a number of other outstanding walk-ons. So. Uh, luckily, they, those guys came with me rather than before me because they have they used to have to start cutting guys. So um, the same guy that told me to quit was also the same guy that guys would walk and they'd say, "Hey, Walt, all my stuff's gone," and he goes, "And so are you, Blanker." <laughs> so he was, uh, he was kind of a oh boy, here we go. I thought lost you for a second. He was kind of a carefree guy that liked to give guys a hard time even when they were on their outs on the way out. But walk-on football players always got a shot at Nebraska. Sometimes it didn't work out, but um, it kind of, to me, was like a five-year survival contest, you know, and you just mark off a name, one t- another guy, dust, and mark off another name and keep moving up. So um, that was my uh, opportunity to um, have a chance to play there. Well, especially back then, like the walk-on program at Nebraska was a real lifeblood of that program. Try to, you know, pull, let's pull us back into that time period during the late 70s. What was it like being a student athlete uh, at the University of Nebraska during, you know, one of the high points of, of their football program? I knew I needed to um, obviously get my degree and, and study hard because – Football wasn't guaranteed, so uh, my degree was in agriculture economics, which serves Iowa and Nebraska well, and that's, essentially that's what I'm doing right now, finally, after all these years. But um, um, football was never guaranteed, especially for a walk-on, but you had to work for it. But you also had to have uh, inner confidence that you could do it, which a lot of my my line coach in, at Nebraska also uh, basically said uh, – Hey, don't don't go to Nebraska. You're going to get lost in the crowd. So, yeah. So it was a, it was a great time. Yeah. So let's circle this back around then, and uh, getting back to the Iowa angle. You guys used to play Iowa pretty regularly at that time. I think back when you played, and uh, you know, how did you view Iowa back then? They were, that was still when they were at the end of their 19 losing seasons in a row, I believe. What kind of an attitude did you guys, the Nebraska being the powerhouse, have when they when they played Iowa back then? We, um, I don't know that we played them regularly, but we did play in my senior year, and I had several uh, basic um, impressions. Number one, first of all, was how much they looked like the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is kind of a intimidating thing. So 
Um, you know, back in the day, not everybody was on TV and you didn't know what everybody looked like, but their home uniforms, boy, they really looked like the Steelers. The other thing, obviously, was the pink locker room, which is still there, and the pink urinals and the pink sinks and everything else, which uh, apparently drove Woody Hayes nuts, and he sent guys in to, to, to put, put butcher bo- paper all over the whole locker room. So, um, But, uh, no, it was, it was a hard-fought game. I mean, some of the players, I mean, I was looking back at that, some of the players that played in that game, Pat Dean, Ryan Scratus, Jake Hilgenberg, uh, Reggie Roby, Mark Bortz, obviously Bob Stoops, Andre Tippett. I mean, wow. uh, Denny Mosley. I mean, there were some amazing athletes on those teams, and, and it was a hard-fought game. And I remember um, you kind of got in a mindset in Nebraska that, you know, you could o- ultimately overcome and ultimately wear down the opponent, but that wasn't really the case against Iowa at all. We actually interviewed Lon Olenzak recently, and, you know, and he he made the comment about, Hayden, when he came in and he changed the uniforms and took that, but he, Hayden would have nothing to do with moral victory. He told anybody, you know, he told the team that he was going to wipe the smile off anybody's face, regardless of if the, you know, because they were getting standing ovations for their effort because the crowd hadn't, you know, seen a good brand of football for quite a while. So it's funny when you say that and you talk about those things, because we talked about those with Lon recently. Is he still there? Can you give me that again, Jerry? We cut out for a second. Yeah, yeah I'm here Basi- now. Um, yeah, so ba- we interviewed Lon Olenzak. quality in. <laughs> We're losing you again, Kelly. Yeah, Lon was a wide receiver in that game. Yeah, and Lon was telling, though, about um, Hayden wouldn't have anything to do with moral victories, that it was about winning and it was about fighting hard and – you know, just kind of echoing basically what you just said. Now he's rebooting. There you are. <laughs> we got Sorry. you back again. Nah. In. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this episode brought to you by Quality and it's We have slow internet. <laughs> I, I, I doubt they're going to be sponsoring us anytime any soon. And so, uh, uh, no. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Well, anyway, let's go ahead and uh, you know, I think uh, yeah, let's uh, move ahead to. You know, Nebraska, Oklahoma, we got to touch on that a little bit. Always, you know, back then was always the game. You know, what were some of your experiences like and what was that like as a, as a Husker? Um, we actually had, uh, I mean, it was a bugaboo for Coach Osborne because he took on, he came on the uh, team as head coach in 73. And for the first six years, he didn't beat them. And some of them were extremely close and, I remember in 75, we got beat like on the last play of the game with a flea flicker to Elvis Peacock, which was like, how did they, how did they pull that out? But Barry, Barry kind of knew the way to push Tom's buttons here and there. But uh, in 78, we faced them when they were number one and probably had one of their best teams in the country ever. And we were able to pull out a victory in Lincoln 17-14. Unfortunately, it was one of the few years that Oklahoma wasn't our last game and we had to play Missouri the following week. And uh, they had Warren Powers on staff and many former Husker coaches, which was a big advantage. They knew our audible system. They knew a lot of our line calls. And they had some amazing athletes like Kellen Winslow, Phil Bradley, James Wilder. So uh, we got beat 35-31. Had we won that game, I'm quite confident we would have faced Penn State in the Orange Bowl and beaten them. 
because we did play in my senior year the year after and beat them 42 to 17. So I think we could have probably uh, succeeded at winning our first national title then had we just got by Missouri in my, my junior year. So we got this year coming up, we got the, get to relive this Nebraska-Oklahoma rivalry. What are your thoughts on how that game's going to go, and do you feel like the Huskers have a chance to pull an upset? Because I'm going to be honest with you, being a Hawkeye fan still, I want to see Nebraska beat them. I would love to see them knock Oklahoma off their high horse. He's thinking about it. <laughs> I, I – yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it's going to play out, but um, until Nebraska beats somebody like that, that they should lose too big, you know, I don't know that Nebraska falls back yet. You know what I mean? So they're going to have to play the game of their lives that they're going to try to beat Oklahoma, especially at Oklahoma. So, yeah. where do you think the biggest challenge is with the current Huskers, Kelly, to get them to turn the corner? I mean, what you know, what what areas do you do you see that you think maybe? They just need to, you know, they need to kind of push that envelope. Personally, um, I think the the success of Nebraska would come in linemen. I mean, that Barry Alvarez took that formula to Wisconsin, loaded up with a lot of big Wisconsin linemen, and they seem to succeed with that formula. I think maybe a little bit, maybe too much emphasis has been placed in wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks. Uh, linebackers, defensive ends. But until you have defensive linemen and offensive linemen, you're going to have a tough haul, I think, in, in the Big Ten Conference of all conference because it's more of a power football conference. It's it's um, actually a step between where Nebraska maybe was in the Big 12 and the NFL. The Big Ten and the SEC both are power football conference. If you don't have a lineman up front, you're not going to be very successful. So, Kelly, there's been some rumors that have been floating around lately, and I, I don't know if you've heard them or not, but that um, Nebraska has been toying with the idea of possibly going back to the Big 12 along with potentially Missouri. Um, what are you, what would, what are your thoughts on if that would uh, something that could possibly ever happen? And then would that be a better fit in your opinion for Nebraska to move back to the Big 12? I think that would be a big mistake, honestly. Um, geographically, Nebraska fits better with uh, and with the Big Ten. I mean, we're all in the same, you know, cold weather, warm weather. Whereas you get some of these teams like Oklahoma, Texas, they have a huge advantage and their winters aren't as harsh as Nebraska's ours. Although nowadays with indoor training facilities, it's not as big a deal as it used to be. We didn't have those kind of facilities. But um, to be quite honest, I think the Big 12 is a finesse league. And that's, I think, maybe where Scott Frost maybe underestimated how the big, how physical the Big 10 was when he came there. Because he had been played in the Big 12 coaching the Pac-12, coaching the uh, AAC, uh, all finesse conference in my opinion. Then you come in on board to a Big Ten school, and boy, um, it's power football from, from the get-go, and you, you have to be able to hold your own up front in order to do that. And um, flare screens and uh, bubble passes and things like that aren't maybe what's going to work because there's also a lot of speed in the Big Ten conference. Um, I think it would be a big mistake for Nebraska to ever – even consider moving back to that conference. The Big Ten's where they're at right now, and I think that's where they should stay. And ultimately, I, I know it hasn't really gotten to that point, but I think someday Nebraska-Iowa will be the same kind of rivalry that Oklahoma-Nebraska was in the past, where there's a lot of respect on both sides. But but that only starts when somebody upsets somebody when they shouldn't, shouldn't, and that's when the whole rivalry thing really gets going, I think.
Yeah. So Kelly, on that rivalry note, over Adam's shoulder, if you can see it, we've got a little push going for a new trophy for the game. It's called, we call it the Corn Belt. And it's got the Heroes game logo with Hawkeyes on one side, but it's Huskers on the other. It's a WWF style belt. It's really nice. I but, do. I like that. You know, we're kind of thinking this maybe, you know, fight, the battle for the Corn Belt has a better ring to it than Heroes game. You know, I got no problem. We can honor the Heroes still. That's not the, but, you know, it's, I don't know. It just kind of seems like it puts more on the line when you're fighting for the Corn Belt and you walk off with the WWF yeah. know, award. What, what, just, are thought, what are your or, thoughts on this? Or just change the trophy name to the Corn Belt. You know, it's got the Heroes game logo on it. You know, we just yeah. change it. And the, the sub name, the nickname could be, you know, it could be the Heroes game, the battle for the Corn Belt. I like it. I think it's a great idea. And obviously we're in the Corn Belt. So what makes yeah. better, better sense than that? And that's a good looking belt, too. And I don't know of any other conference that has anything like that. So, uh, no, I'm on board. I would I would vote for that. Yeah. We thought it we thought it would fit. We were kind of looking for an opinion from the other side. So Well, and it's the number one and number two corn producing states in the country, with Iowa being number one, of course. <laughs> would you like to buy some of my uh, combine or tractor parts? <laughs> uh, <laughs> People in Omaha don't get it. I say every farmer owns a Ferrari. It's called a combine. He has to take it out of mud in the dirt. Snow and yeah. Rain. So those combines cost uh, as much of a, as a Ferrari or sometimes more. <laughs> so Kelly, I'm What's taking that? this on then you were, uh, you know, you were on a couple all American lists as a senior, as you said, you had to keep stave off of Dave Remington, you know, while during your time at Nebraska showing the depth of talent there, you had a cup of coffee in the NFL, you know, kind of, was there anything about the NFL? And I kind of know an answer because I'm trying to lead you. There was a certain, when you, you were with the Packers and with the Giants and there was a certain rookie with the Giants, I think that, the audience may be aware of the, and, you know, what were, what were your impressions of both teams? And maybe you can talk a little bit more to that point. Uh, my, uh, yes. When my second year, when I was at the giants, um, they did draft Lawrence Taylor. He was, this was before he was LT from North Carolina state. And he had a brief holdout. And I remember um, the first day he came to camp, he showed up at noon. We'd already had our morning practice and I was sitting at a, uh, luncheon table with Chris Lennon, who was a defensive tackle from Washington University. And I said, Chris, if he sits at this table, there's going to be some major problems. And sure enough, he sits at the table. So then the, the, everybody's, it's almost, if you can imagine a prison setting, everybody starts pounding with their forks and they're like, oh, runs, low runs. He keeps eating and he says, uh, well, what do they want from me? And they said, they want you to sing your school fight song, but you have to stand up in the chair to do it. So he keeps eating a little bit longer, and I'm looking at Chris going, this is not going the way it should. We're in trouble. <laughs> so finally, he stands up on his chair, and he says, first of all, I'm happy to be here. B, I don't know my school fight song, and if anybody wants me to sing it, come on over here, and we'll have a little chat. So about that time, the food started to fly, and it was like food fight. And, uh, yeah, I think I got cottage cheese in my ear yet still from that. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was always a fun story to hear, but so basically transmit then after you get done with that, you know, your attempt to at the pros, you know, you get into officiating, you know, what, what was your beginnings there? What spurred that? And uh, you know, how did you progress up the officiating ladder then? I, I spent about 10 years away from football from, from the mid eighties to the early nineties. I actually tried to 
be a color broadcaster for KRGI out of Grand Island. I was absolutely horrible. I remember one game I announced the wrong. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details roster the wrong players on the wrong side. I had them totally backwards. So uh, the guy's looking at me like, what are you doing? So um, figured that wasn't the deal. But finally, a guy convinced me to start doing high school football around the Omaha area. And um, by the time I had invested my $135 for uniform, uh, um, you know, the first game game fee was $35. I said, wait a minute. And they go, ah, we have you penciled for a few more games. So they kind of wrote me into it. But um uh, the interesting thing was I started doing uh, small college football around um, the Omaha area. Inclu- it was called the Northern Iowa Nebraska- Northern Iowa Conference then, NIAC. So there was Northwestern Iowa and a few other teams. So, But uh, ironically, then we started working arena football, which we knew nothing at all about and was a baptism wow. under fire, which is a combination of basketball, hockey, and football rolled into one. But we didn't realize that the NFL was overseeing Arena 2, which we work for a team. So uh, I got invited uh, about my fourth or fifth year in officiating to a clinic in Tampa. And uh, what I didn't what I didn't realize it was was that it was the camp for the guys going to NFL Europe. To, they were on the cusp of getting in the NFL. And Gerald Austin, who was the commissioner of the uh, of the uh, of the uh, basically Conference USA and also a two-time NFL head referee, kind of took a liking and pulled me under his wing. And before I got home, I got a phone call saying, hey, he lost his headlinesman because his wife had an illness and he wanted to know if I could go to Europe. So here I am officiating with all these guys working in all these major conferences, guys in the NFL and small college football yet. And they're like, what conference are you in? And, and then I don't know, you know. So um, really they were all in major conferences, but – for four years, I spent time in Europe and uh, probably was on the cusp of going in the NFL. But uh, once they got Cleet Blakeman, they had their quota of bald guys from Omaha. So it was all good. <laughs> when, when, you, when you transitioned into um, from the Big 8 into the Big 10, what was some of the biggest changes for you? And was that a difficult transition? That was not an actual bad transition. Um, there was The Big 12 hadn't really... Uh, gone to the run and gun as much then as they are now. Um, they weren't as much a finesse conference, in my opinion, as they are right now. So, but I, I definitely noticed the size of the players, maybe a little bit bigger in the Big Ten and more of the power aspect of it. And, you know, there was always that willingness to try to establish the run before the pass. 
rather than the other way around, which it seems like in the other conferences passed to open up the run. So um, I, I felt that it was closer to something I would see in NFL Europe than actually maybe some other college conferences. So um, the Big Ten has some some big and fast players. So it was a di- little bit different speed. Sure. Going back to the uh, some of your Big Eight days and Big Twelve days, Kelly, you've got a great story of uh, from the sideline with uh, Oklahoma and Bob Stoops, and kind of basically what kind of it was conversations that went on about your alma maters. And if you can elaborate, kind of tell that story, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, actually, I'll I'll never forget it because it was kind of a a bridge moment to where um, I went from rather than just being official to the Oklahoma staff to being a, a well-regarded, well, he's got credibility kind of thing. So um, it was – Baylor was playing Oklahoma, and they had just established a rule if you run into a coach as a player or as an official in the white, um, the first time it's just a warning, second time it's a five-yard penalty, then it progressed to 10, 15. So I'd actually run into Coach Stoops on a scoring play that Oklahoma had maybe intercepted and taken back, which is – the most likely time to do it because they always want to stay on the uphill side. But when the, when the ball transitions, now they're on the downfield side and I'm blindly that way. So I bumped into him, they scored. So I signal touchdown, they throw the flag and here he comes. And uh, he said, what, what, what? I said, the score counts. I'll talk to you in a second. So uh, we just a sense of warning. And uh, I said, you see that front row over there? And he goes, yeah, your number was 41 at Iowa, right? He goes, yeah. I said, that's where I was putting you all day long back in 1979. And he goes, what? You played against each other? So um, he kind of – I could see him go over and talking to uh, Kale Gundy, and and uh, he was uh, trying to think uh, defensive coordinator uh, at uh, Clemson now, um, Brent Venables, and hmm. uh, kind of told these guys. And a little while later, I feel this guy – inching up toward me while I'm watching, trying to watch the play while it's Kale Gundy. He leans over and he goes, he goes, so you're an ex-Husker, huh? And I said, yeah. He goes, I could tell that was a wimpy-ass Husker hit when he ran into me too. <laughs> and he said, you run into Venable, he'll shatter into pieces. So from that moment on, I had credibility with their staff and uh, we had a great time and we kind of relived some of the old, old days. But, uh, it's just an to somebody that yeah. my quality in. I was going to say I don't know. I want to. I don't want to see the quality in Yelp review when you leave there tonight. Quality in tomorrow. Folks, so. in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he goes again. So they heard. They heard him say that, and they yanked him right out of it. Yeah, there. they did. The, the oh. quality in police. Oh, geez, they're watching a corporate right now, and they saw him say that. He even lifted up the cup to take a drink of coffee, and they're like. Yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to be associated with this. They pulled him. We can yeah. kind of hang hang here for a second. We could just look up a little bit of a. There we go. <laughs> a little bit of a inspiration. They uh, they were too busy leaving the light on, and no, that's Motel Six. Sorry, I got the wrong one. I was going to say they were too busy leaving the light on, and they it pulled the power from the internet. So we'll see if he uh, he he swings back yeah. in. Um, those are some pretty interesting stories. I'm like a guy like him. I, has he written a book? And if if not, why hasn't he? You know, I think he's been too busy because when you've got actually got a job and then you're trying, you're officiating or you've got, you know, these administrative responsibilities now with the timing, 
you know, time trying, and he's on the road a lot. Time probably doesn't allow for it, but you never know, you know, and that's kind of what we want to get into more of too, is just trying to understand where these officials come from, you know, because, you know, we always see the side of it from the fans perspective. So. Now, um, where did, where did you two meet? Kelly was a sales rep that called on me, uh, both in our previous jobs and, okay. And I, I was pretty, you know, my office, I, I displayed the Hawkeye stuff. And so he came in to call on me one day and he looking around and he said, he just says, oh, you're a Hawkeye fan, huh? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm a big Hawkeye fan. And, you know, this was after I'd moved to Nebraska. So yeah. it just kind of started there and then find out, you know, that he was an official at the time. And and um, so, yeah, it just kind of transitioned from there. And, you know, me, I'm I'm, I'm all about talking about the Hawks every chance I get. and. But, it, but again, it's about having fun with it. I mean, being a Hawkeye yeah. fan's made me a lot of friends in Nebraska. I'm sure it has you also. Well, yeah, definitely. And I, I would love to just sit with him some night and have a couple beers and just listen to stories because I'm sure there's an endless amount of them. And he is back. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, there he is. I disconnected from the quality ends internet and I put it on my uh, myself, my iPhone. So mobile mobile hotspot. It already yeah. looks like more clear and it looks oh, better yeah. already. So, again, you know, if you want to, I'll look forward to hearing about that Yelp review after the interview uh, when I talk to you next time. So, now, hey, Kelly, like, I, I really wanted to ask you too and talk to you about some of, you know, the different, because I know we can't probably get into like specific coaches, but, um, you know, without naming names, what are some of the characteristics of, of coaches and coaching staffs that really frustrated you went back when you were out on the field and you're trying to officiate a game that just would just, eat at you throughout the game and, and frustrate you as an official. Cause we all know that, you know, as an official, you, you get frustrated with the coaches a lot of times as much as they get frustrated with you. Well, um, uh, my skin's used to be that thick and now it's about that. <laughs> but uh, basically it, it's a lot about learning people skills and learning how to manage personalities. Um, um, different coaches would have different hot spots and things that they were concerned about. But the main thing you want to do is try to communicate with them. The last thing you want to do is shut up and not give them the information they're looking for. Probably the thing that maybe upset me while I was on the field more than anything was a coach who would complain about a call that was made on the other side of the field, which I had nothing to do about. Uh, We all have things we're supposed to watch. So uh, um, I can't, I, I don't even maybe even know what that call was that occurred on the other side of the field, but um, but I always had a high regard for the Iowa coaching staff was very, very professional. And Coach Ferenz was always very good to me. And um, um, it's crazy how many people and different coaches have come from the Iowa staff over the years. It's just amazing. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody say even one negative thing about him, like Coach Ferenc at all. Usually, no matter what, like as a Division One coach, somebody is going to say something bad about you. But we've never heard anything negative whatsoever about Coach Ferenc. I wanted to ask you, Kelly, one more question before I uh, swing it back over uh, over here to um, my my co my cohort Jerry. Um, you probably can't name a stadium by name. If you can, awesome. If not, totally get it. But kind of describe us the most difficult place for you to referee a game with, you know, with the fans and with the atmosphere. And you have fans just down your throat on top of you, yelling at you. I know some refs have had things thrown at them before. What's a situation that you've gotten into that you were like, wow, this is crazy? 
Um, certain, yeah, you're right. Certain places, uh, but actually, it was probably more in the NFL than as a as a coach because, like for example, when we played at Philadelphia, they always said keep your helmet on, and you would hear this zing. They'd be like nickels and pennies and you know change be coming off the top stadiums, which can can do some damage. So, oh yeah, um, I've actually been fortunate enough to never have anybody throw anything on me as an official. I mean, you're going to hear some comments here and there, and especially when you did arena football because they're right next to you right there. Um, so when I was working Bon Jovi and Jaworski's football team, they're right behind you, and you know exactly what they're saying to you. In a big stadium, it's more of a roar and a you know, general attitude and more the, you know, what guys are saying or doing. So um, I will tell you, uh, and you'll be able to figure out what I'm going to say here, but when I was in Conference USA, they were one of the first schools to ever switch officials like the NFL did. Um, there was a trial basis. So I was at um, West, uh, Western West Virginia, and um, I had started on the press box side, and the second half I was opposite. And the beginning of the second half, I hear the student yell at me, and this is right before the kickoff for the second half. He said, hey, H., where you been? We missed you. And I thought, well, that's kind of friendly for a guy from West Virginia. And I just about turned around and right about that time, 4,000 West Virginia students said what they thought H stood for. And it was not a good term at that particular <laughs> moment. So, uh, but uh, you, the main thing is if you acknowledge people and you know that you're hearing, you're hearing what they're saying, then they're going to say it that much more. So, yeah. So on that note, Kelly, what, you know, what are some other things about officiating that, you know, you, you know, stuff the fans may not be aware of, you know, the, you know, as far as, you know, we, we look at it and think, oh, he saw this or he didn't see it and and so on and so forth. But, you know, behind the scenes, what are some things as an official that you say, oh, I just wish the fans knew more about this. Now's your chance to, you know, to educate us. So. I was watching a, a little bit, I think it's coming soon and I think everybody will enjoy this, but I was by the way, quality in has flies too. Just so you know. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get sued for slander. <laughs> um, but uh, I was watching the spring league game this year, and you could actually hear the uh, official on the field talk to the replay coordinator, and they were making their decision. Uh, basically, replay is not decided by the head referee on the sideline. Even though he's looking into that monitor, he's not making the decision. The decision's made upstairs by the head referee head uh, replay official along with his assistant. But um, he's looking at what, you know, what what they're looking at. So he kind of has an idea on, what, on how to announce that, what their decision is. But um, I think you're going to hear more and more verbal chatter as to how those decisions are made and what they're looking at. But ultimately, the one thing that fans need to understand relative replay goes, a replay is never even though their gut might tell them something was not what the actual ruling is in the field unless they have a conclusive video shot within two minutes they're not going to overturn that call because the fit they're going to have to go with the what how it was called on the field so like i say even though they might think they're they're going to be overturning it a lot of times they don't because they don't have the shot to overturn it so um, they may not be blind but we we depend a lot on what the video shots are from the from the producers of the games that are broadcast with the changes of um, w- with concussion protocols and, you know, studying head trauma to 
to, you know, former football players. We've really, you know, looked into targeting and that's a real, that's a hot button right now. How difficult ha- is that for officials to be able to adjust to that? Cause I've seen a lot of plays where like, say a quarterback goes to slide and the guy going to tackle him tries to pull up, but he still hits his head. Like it, it seems like such a great area and such a hard call to make a lot of times. How tough is that for you as officials to make those targeting calls? You're right. It is a difficult call. And I've seen the full evolution because when I was a player, you'd get, you'd be like rewarded for some of the hits now where a guy would be tossed out, you know, for the rest of the game. And as far as a targeting, I mean, they were, they were, they were admired as far as the hits were. And they used to have the thing on ESPN called he got jacked up. Remember when they were all made? So, um, but yet if anybody's ever seen the movie concussion, Many movies are overplayed. That movie was underplayed. That's the severity of uh, CTE events that happen in athletes. And uh, a CTE doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be concussed. It can mean that you see double or you just you see stars or whatever. But um, there's one pension fund in the United States that's ballooning these days, which is now the NFL pension fund. In fact, that back in the day when I was there, you, only, you had to play into your fifth season. Now they're granting back to that time that you only had to play three seasons because they, they have so much money in their pension fund. Targeting's tough, but um, we're trying to do it for the integrity of the game. And the one thing that, to your point, Jerry, that, that uh, fans need to understand, many times the official closest to the play is not going to make that call because he's looking at hand down, knee down, ball out, whatever. So he's not necessarily looking above where the contact's being made. It's usually an off official. And they go, why did that official throw that flag from 20 yards away? Well, he's, he's the guy who actually has the targeting call. Who's not in that very close tight circle. He's the guy watching for the hit to the head. So very few times is the closest official, the one who makes the targeting call. So Kelly, let's go back. We, you know, I know you got another fun story, and I we I was trying to find the video. I couldn't find a good quality one, but uh, Purdue Bowling Green, twenty twelve, I believe. Purdue and Marshall or Marshall, excuse me. I keep wanting to say Bowling Green. I keep getting the green teams mixed up here, but Purdue Marshall. You had another quick. Uh, you had another close call with the coach. Uh, can you go ahead and walk us through that? And uh, afterward, we'll, you know, there's video of the uh, post game if you go out and look for it on YouTube. But uh, go ahead. So to all the fans out there who watch officiating, that white six-foot stripe that goes all the way around the field, that's no zone for anybody other than officials while the play's live. So if, if you run into a player, if you run into a coach in that particular zone, that's, that's technically a foul. The plays that you can anticipate running into that, as I told you earlier with Coach Stoops, was on a change of possession. On this particular day, we had Marshall at Purdue, and there was a block punt. So I turned, and you're watching action on the field, and if you run into them, a lot of times it's like you're running into a brick wall. Well, Doc Holliday just happened to be right there, and I didn't particularly see him, but I ran into him pretty hard, and he went flying, and um, he ended up getting six stitches underneath his eye because he ran into one of his coaches who else fell down and um, cut his eye open. But... um, it uh, it is post game comment. I I understand. He said uh, what they asked him what happened. He says, "Well, that big guy hit me out there. You know that big guy." I, <laughs> I think it was more along the lines of that big sob. He was a big <laughs> sob, and he ran me over. But you know, 
But I mean, it is, you know, to get back coaches really do their job overall. I mean, I'm, you know, always know that there's those assistants that are in charge of keeping everybody back out of that no-go zone. I mean, are, overall, do they really do much of a good job? It always seems like people are crowding that sideline, but. It is, but I mean, you look at the evolution of all that, and back when I played, the officials were off by the numbers. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. totally all where they backed them away. So it's been a real um, um, evolution from when I played to what it is now. And they try to give the officials that much room because it gets dangerous because when you, if you're running where you're looking, no big deal, but you're generally running with your head to the side watching the action on the field so you don't miss a clip, you don't miss a fumble, you don't miss – him not scoring when he crosses the goal line. So you always want to try to keep that zone clear, but get back coaches run a fine line because if they pull too hard on that coach, you know, they're not going to be the get back coach the next week either. So. Yeah. Well, Kelly, it's been great having you on. We really appreciate you taking the time while you're traveling. Um, You know, it's always great to hear some of the things that you've got to offer and, you know, living here in Nebraska, we hear a lot about the storied program and it's always kind of interesting to, I think hear some stories from the inside as well. So keep your, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. So honestly, I think the Iowa Nebraska rival will get to be a true full fledged rivalry here down the road. It's kind of got off a little bit of a slow start, but like I say, um, when Iowa beats Nebraska, when Nebraska should win by two touchdowns or vice versa, that's probably when the whole thing will get started. So, and I think that's what we're really kind of starting to see. You know, the, the Iowa Iowa State rivalry has been going on forever, but it is heating up right now, big time. And you know, that's I I, I re- we really hope that the Iowa Nebraska rivalry can get there because you know we always joke around that we you know hate the Cornhuskers and all that. We really we want to see them win every game. So when they play us, it's a big game. And, you know, that's good for both programs. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, the teams that used to talk the most were the teams that would get blown out or beat and they weren't classy. And I've, I've witnessed and both playing and as, a, as an official seeing two guy, teams just go out there and give it their heart and not really talk that much but play their hearts out. And that's pretty much the way both Nebraska and Iowa are at right now. So they are yeah. they're respect each other. Definitely. Well, Kelly, I wanted to ask you what Friday after Thanksgiving again, too. So, (laughs) yeah, we got that move back. It it looked like it wasn't going to happen like that for a while. But I'll I'll give Bill Moose some credit that, um, you know, he was able to get that done. Um, Well, I wanted to see you get your perspective, too, a little bit um, from being a former Husker before we let you go and to, you know, being an official right now. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that early retirement of, of Bill Moose? Because that, that surprised a lot of people. He had another couple of years left on his contract. Really seemed like he was making a lot of positive changes with the new practice facility and, you know, player lounge. That was, like, going to be one of the best in the country. And they broke around on it, I want to say, three, three, four months ago. And it was pretty surprising how he left. What, what are your thoughts on that? And I'm sure you don't have any you know, insider information, but from your perspective, what's your opinion? You know, um, I think his contract was due to expire in December, which, you know, usually then they renew right before that, certain things like that. I don't know much at all about the situation. Um, I wish him the best. Um, he, uh, I think he's made some good hires relative to our basketball program, uh, uh, baseball program, and hope, eventually, hopefully football too. Um, we got to figure that out here pretty quick, but uh, obviously football is what drives everything in Nebraska. So um, um, we look we look for Scott to have some success here down the road. Hopefully that happens. 
Um, I don't know much about the situation. Um, I think um, they have a national search going on right now. I, I, I don't want to, I have an idea who a couple of the candidates might be, but uh, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. So um, again, I don't know much at all about the situation. Um, yeah. But we, uh, it's, we, it's we, we, a guy resigns and he gets $3 million, I think. So, yeah, uh, we like to speculate here. So we uh, we know nobody takes it as factual uh, stuff. We just can, like to speculate. You can tell you can tell us seekers because we know nobody's watching us anyway. So, you yeah, know, this is all top secret stuff. <laughs> I'll, uh, well, talk Kelly, to you later. <laughs> well, Kelly, if you're uh, if you're Huskers, uh, any of your Husker fans, you know, turn on you for being on a Hawkeye talk show. Come on over to the come on over to the dark side. You know, we, we got the winning streak. I think Adam and I got some extra gear, you know, we'll, we'll welcome you on board. If you want to ever come back on the Iowa, on the Iowa bandwagon. He's already here, got a so. Hawkeye binder. I saw you show it, show it earlier. <laughs> you look really good next to that tiger Hawk. Yeah, there, there it go. is. That's beautiful. There it is. That's See, you know, let's, let's, let's tell him the story. This is my daily binder. I carried it around, but it, it was given to me by the Iowa staff for working in scrimmage. So if any of the other Big Ten schools want to send me a binder, I'd be happy to carry it once a week for them too. So, yeah. all right, well, very we nice. may just not we may just not enter the, air this interview then, so nobody knows that, and you still have the <laughs> Hawkeye binder. So it gets me a little trouble around the Cyclones. I'm just telling you. Well, that's all right. We you you know you got to stick to the Iowa when you're around the Cyclones. So. <laughs> All right, Kelly. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to to join us. And you know, we always end we always end it with the Go Hawks. I'm not sure we can get that out of you. <laughs> I'll just say I appreciate the invite, and uh, let me know if I can come on again. If there's something else that comes up, we'll we'll talk. All right. Thank All right. you, sir. Have a great day. Thanks, Thanks Kelly. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Come one, shop all at the JCPenney Friends and Family Sale. Through Wednesday, use your 30% off coupon inside the JCP app and shine on with up to 60% off diamond solitaires and studs. Plus, get carried away with up to 70% off luggage from Samsonite, American Tourister, Skyway, and more. Anyone shops, everyone saves. We got your holiday. JCPenney. Offers valid on select items through 12-7. Offers reflect after coupon savings. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details.